This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Welcome, and we'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly, but I have a question for Mr. Kelly first. Yes, sir. Now, how does this playoff stuff work? I know you're a blues nut, though you don't mm-hmm. have your blues hat on today. No, I thought so about I'm, wearing my jersey today, but I didn't. Okay. Yeah. But if you can lose in regulation time, you don't make the playoffs. But if you lose in overtime, you make the playoffs. It's Isn't a one loss point. A loss? No, you get a point for a tie. Oh. See? And then you also get yeah, credit for winning in regulation. You but you get a point for tying after regulation. Oh. And then if you lose in overtime or the shootout, the other team gets the extra point. Ah. But you've already gotten the point. <laughs> see? I don't get the point. Yeah, That's see, the whole point. The blues are up. <laughs> the blues are up by here. The blues are up by one point. <laughs> and so if they get a point, they'll be up by two. <laughs> Well, it also goes, it's kind of hard to explain. And then it also goes, there's a thing called, now you're going to love this. You're going to love this. There's a thing called a row. That's regulation. How do you spell that? R-O-W. Regulation and overtime wins. So if the Blues send it to overtime, they can, even if they lose in overtime, they finish with the same amount of points as Colorado, but they've won more games in regulation or overtime before the shootout. And so they get credit for that, and so then they go to the playoffs. Do you mind me saying, P.U., this is really <laughs> weird. You know, Jamie. just win. If they just win, it's it's very easy. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just curious. I know you're a blues nut. Yeah, anyway. I am. <laughs> Although, you know, this year it's kind of like, oh, if they make it, great. If they don't, and I'm I just... I'm, they're not. They're not going to win the cup anyway. Oh. I hate to say it. What? So, you know, I know. Oh. It's, I hate to even say it, but it's... Purveyor uh, of doom. Mm. Reality. Well, thanks, Brian. You're welcome. Yes, how about, and thanks. How about those plans? <laughs> and thanks to you for stopping by. We'll be taking that good gardening stroll shortly, as I said. If you have questions, concerns, or comments about your plants, 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. We get together on Saturday morning and we discuss your yard, your landscape, garden, house plants. Oh, hopefully you haven't set your houseplants outside yet. Might be a little cold for them. I still have mine in the garage every week. I keep thinking, well, I'm going to take them out today. And then I think, oh, I saw that forecast. So they're still sitting in the garage in front of a window. Anyway, helping you make choices. That's what my words will open out those opportunities. And it's going to take effort on your part in this great marathon And uh, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg. He's producing again today. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available in various locations. And also I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. During the week, I do landscape consulting, where I come to your home and do a walk and talk. 
you'd be interested in me coming to your home, you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. On the homepage, and there's an email address and phone number where I can be reached. And today, after the show, I'm headed to St. Charles, actually off Mugi Road. And uh, anyway, the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Dawn was barely pushing nighttime out of the way. And where do I go for a stroll, I say? The birds are out singing and sweeping across the skyline. And I pull up and park beside the Soulard Garden Co-op, which is on 9th Street. There's a new board. Oh, lots of new board edgings. There's individual bed spaces here. So I think they're about 4 or 5 feet wide and about 10 or 12 feet long. I don't know exactly the dimensions. I've never really measured them. But uh, they're really starting to revamp some of the various areas in this uh, Sular Garden Co-op. And a couple of beds are already prepped. They've got the soil ready to go as soon as the temperature gets a little bit warmer. A couple of them must have plant material in them already because they have insulating material with hoops to protect it from the cold. A lot of the bird baths, mm-hmm, they're just kind of sitting around waiting. They have the dishes off the top so they don't have to worry about freezing or anything like that. There's daffodils here and there that say spring is here. The fruit trees, yes, they're starting to open some of the flower buds. And much of the pathways have been remulched recently. Their benches are sitting idle. There goes a lucky dog. He's out for a good morning stroll. His owner is taking him out for some fresh air. And uh, boy, oh boy, there's all kinds of different bed spaces, too, and all kinds of trellises. The people are going to be growing various things, all kinds of beans and colorful plant materials and things like that. And one very imaginative imaginative trellis was a headboard from a bed. So that was pretty smart. Now, there is the huge arbor at Midgarden, and it may need a little bit of refurbishing. And also there's a sign there that reminds you, if you're going to take your pet for a walk in this bed or in these gardens, please pick up the waste. The background of this garden space is an old stone wall. I don't know exactly when it was built, but much of the old stone walls in Soulard are really quite old. But it sets a tempo just perfectly for the Soulard Garden Co-op. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with questions or comments or concerns. When the weather gets this cold, the plant material, you have to watch out, especially newly installed plant material within the last couple years that have been planted because the root systems may not be developed quite adequately so consequently, I mean, we have had a lot of rain. There's no getting around it. But we have had some wind, too. And it's dehydrating the soil. So dehydrated or dry soil and new plant material, that doesn't work so good. I've got some pansies that I planted in window boxes. They're underneath the eave of the house, you know, kitchen window. And I can tell I need to get some of those watered because they just they've dehydrated. There's no getting around it. So let's go to Shiloh, Illinois, for the first call, and that's where Chuck lives. Hi, Chuck. Mike, good morning. How are you, sir? Very good. Hey, Mike, I got an, uh, a very well-established, uh, very lush fescue lawn. 
Uh, yesterday, a couple of Einsteins with a delivery truck decided that they needed to back up and use some of my front yard. Ooh. So, yeah, well, they, they took it from me. Um, how how do I uncompact or, or take care of where where they uh, compacted the, the lawn? Basically, you're going to have to go out there and physically either turn the area over with, you know, with a spade or, you know, let's say a, some kind of small rototiller or something along that line. So you're going to have to aerate it that way. You're not going to be able to just go out there and put some dirt in the depressions or anything else. So you're going to have to work that soil up in those spots where the actual the depressions from the tires are. Okay, great. Thanks, Mike. Yep. And... Uh, just get it done as soon as you possibly can. Mix, you know, do a topsoil compost mix. That would be the best thing. And then also, then you can get your seed down. There's no hurry to get the seed down, especially if you've put a pre-emergent down because though it should be, you know, disrupted from the fact that you're turning the soil over in this space, you can never tell if it's, you know, if you got any kind of slope at all. The pre-emergent could be washing down from a different area as well. So if anybody else has any questions, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As I said before, don't put your house plants out because it is still a little too cool. But uh, here's some information. The University of Missouri does, uh, they have this thing called IPM, Integrated Pest Management, and they sent out a newsletter pretty, I mean, it used to be once a month. Now it's just kind of changes and it, it comes whenever they decide they want to do it. But they had this whole article, which was on March 27th, which was just a week or so ago, about soil testing, the essential tool for healthy lawn and gardens. And so this is the University of Missouri. Soil and plant testing labs are busy with spring rush. I'm quoting this directly. And have you had your soil tested? If not... Go ahead and take a sample and get these, you know, get your soil tested. They're saying basically soil fertility, soil fertility fluctuates throughout the entire growing season. The amount of available nutrients varies with the addition of fertilizers, compost, any kind of organic matter, and lime or sulfurs. All this stuff continues to leach, so it doesn't just kind of stay right where you think it is. And they're talking about the importance. Here's one of the most important things that I keep emphasizing over and over and over again. Most turf, grasses, flowers, ornamental shrubs, vegetables, and fruits grow best in a slightly acid soil. That means a soil pH, which a soil test will tell you what your pH is. The soil pH is going to be between 6.1 and 6.9. Now, other things that are acid-loving plants want more, like blueberries and mountain laurels and rhododendrons. But just remember, you don't put lime down on your soil just because you think it needs lime. If you've had a soil test done and it says it's very acidic, then yes, you're going to have to change it, but it's not going to change immediately. So just realize that most plant material want a slightly acidic soil to grow the best. So this is from the University of Missouri from a... Newsletter that was published March 27th. Let's head to Florissant and go to Jeff's yard. Hi, Jeff. Hi, uh, hi, Mike. Thank hi. you for taking my call. Sure. It, it, it's funny. The uh, thing I was going to ask you about was blueberries. Uh, <laughs> coincidence. Uh, great minds thinking the same way. Yes. My question is this. I, I know it needs acidic soil, right. and I'm working on uh, working on that. I have uh, four potted plants I just bought that are uh, premium uh, 
premium uh, cultivars. But my question is this. When you look at um, fertilizers, you know, you get triple 10, triple 12, or some of this and some of that. Which number would be most helpful for, say, root development? So, you know, you see some that are a little larger numbers than others. Which number helps with root development? Basically, the last two numbers are more so for that. So, in other words, they're phosphorus and potassium. But you don't want extremely high levels either. Because I would say keep everything modified. Just make sure that the fertilizer that you're using because you're growing blueberries has sulfur and iron in it. Because those are the two things that really ensure that your soil is going to have the correct pH. The sulfur changes it, and iron is just one of the essential things for acid-loving plants. So, okay, so what would be a number like I should be trying to find? Well, I mean, you could just go and get any kind of fertilizer for acid-loving plants. So, in other words, uh, you know, Peters makes one, Scott's makes one. So I would just make sure you focused on that and not necessarily what numbers they are. Okay, because I bought some special super-duper stuff for blueberries. It was quite expensive, and I wasn't sure if that was really the best value shall we say <laughs> well you who knows you may have end up with like the blue best blueberries in the entire state of missouri as far as aesthetically <laughs> and taste wise and everything else i mean there are formulations that are specifically for products but look on you know let's say on the label or when it tells you what there is in there then you can kind of find out what there is and maybe you can find a product that's going to be let's say a little bit less expensive Okay, thank you for the help. I appreciate yeah. it. So, in other words, you basically, the nitrogen is the first number. It only stays in the soil for a couple of days, and then it goes up in the air as a gas. The phosphorus and potassium, if those last two numbers are too high, you may ha- it may be great right at first, but those two nutrients, the last two numbers, phosphorus and potassium, stay in the soil for an extremely long period of time. And we're finding that many soil tests are indicating because people have fertilized the same way over and over and over again, extravagant levels of those phosphorus and potassium, and that's causing bad damage to the root system of the plant material. So that's kind of what you're looking at. So thanks, well, Jeff. You know, that makes a lot of sense. I've, uh, uh, in, I, I've heard a lot of times that people really screw up their soils without ever getting a test. Right. I've, I've, I've talked to country boys that tell me that all the time. And, <laughs> and uh, so testing is important. I did get a uh, pH meter. Uh, to test with, but uh, uh, so what you're saying, I, I really understand and appreciate. So the simplest solution is just to get something that is a uh, plant food rated for acid-loving Exactly, plants. right. Thank you for your help. I appreciate it. Yep, good luck with the blueberries. And now let's go to Centralia, Illinois, into Betsy's yard. Hi, Betsy. Good morning. How is the best way to get rid of of the liriope that has jumped its border and gone into the flower garden. <laughs> <laughs> now, what kind of flowers are there in there? Are they daylilies? No, they're most flocks, mostly the really tall perennial flocks. Well, the flocks is a broadleaf plant. So the liriope is consequently, because it has a narrow blade, it's basically a grass. So you can actually go in there with a grass killer and spray it on the liriope, and it won't do any kind of damage to your flocks. Good. 
So just be careful, though. Don't do it too much, you know, blah, 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 blah. But that's, I mean, they're two totally different type things. It's kind of like, let's say, dandelions in a lawn. You can put, a, you know, the herbicide down, let's say, a weed-be-gone type thing and get the, you know, the dandelions under control without damaging your lawn. And so liriope is like it's in the grass family or grass group, and the phlox is in the broadleaf, leaf, broadleaf perennial plant group. Good. I didn't really want to be digging out there. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, and it sounds like you got a spreading type liriope, and you're just going to yes. have to keep battling and battling and battling. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. And wow, another person from Centralia. I wonder if Betsy and Bill know each other. Hi, Bill. How are you today? Well, I live south of, uh, I'd say I, I live in Walmart, south of Walmax. So ah. That's that. But uh, I have, I put, we had a, old fire bush that died back last year and two sprigs came up out of the ground and looked like somebody had taken uh, hot water and put on them. I mean, they died immediately. So there's got to be something probably in the soil. Um, not necessarily. It's just maybe the, you know, the entire plant was just, you know, old and the sprigs that came up really, are you sure that they were part of the, are we talking about the burning bush, Euonymus? Yeah. 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 If an old shrub comes up and you cut everything off and these two things come shooting up, it just probably didn't have enough, whatever foliage didn't have anything just to keep it health healthy. It, it died back all the way. And then these new sprigs came up new, and uh, I babied them, but it didn't work. Right. So how far away should I plant firebush again? Oh, you could basically dig up where it is and put a new one right in that spot, or you could move it, you know, a couple feet away if you want. But I, my guess is, if it was, you know, if it was an older plant, it was healthy for the last up until the last year or two, yeah, we're then it had big scales on it. Oh, it had scales? Well, you know, it had like long, it had the regular branches, but on there they had like long raised spots. I don't know what it was, but it killed it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I don't, don't, you know, I would say you don't need, if you got rid of all the debris from the other one that's been, that's dead, I don't think you have to worry about too much, you know, putting another one there in close proximity. Okay, I have one more question. Sure. Since you're the container gardener, gardening guru uh i have a two foot by two foot square uh cedar board with uh dirt and other th- and potting soil and peat moss in it mm-hmm. and i know right now it's too cold but if i put a double panged window that would fit over it would that warm the soil up pretty quick it should, you know, as long as the sun's out. If the sun's not out, if it's overcast and cloudy, it's not going to help at all. But how warm should the soil be before I would put like a potato or something in it? Uh, probably, you know, as long as you get it above, let's say, 55 to 60, then, the, you know, it should be, it's not necessarily going to trigger the immediate growth. But consequently, just go to your favorite, let's say, wherever you buy your plant material. As soon as they start carrying potatoes, seed potatoes, then that's the time when you could be able to put it in the ground. Farm supply stores already got them, but they always. Yeah, it's a little premature. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, okay. if you if you warmed up the soil, I mean, if you got a soil thermometer, if you get it above sixty, you should be fine. Okay. 
Okay, thank you. I appreciate your show and you. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. I'll tell you what, folks. Yes, this time of year makes it so many of the plant materials you can you shouldn't be planting or anything else, but what is just going totally wild, nuts, crazy are those annual cool season weeds. They, As I continue to say, I'm just trying to brainwash everybody. They germinated last August, and now they are just exploding. Whether it's henbit and dead nettle, common chickweed, annual bluegrass, the Persian speedwell, those are all over the place. One way to see if you have henbit along your driveway, your sidewalk, or just in your lawn, it's purplish now. Not only has purple flowers, but the foliage is purple as well. So the chickweed has small white flowers. The speedwell has small blue flowers with a white throat. And those things are going nuts. So putting a pre-emergent down doesn't do a thing at all for this, for those. But putting a pre-emergent down now because of forsythias in bloom will help control spurge, ragweed, purslane, knotweed, and lamb's quarters, all kinds of other things, crabgrasses. The barnyard grass, the goose grass, the foxtail. Now, they, to be honest with you, they say they control violets, but violet control is really, really difficult from a pre-emergent standpoint because you know violets. They say they're annual warm season weeds, but uh, they are perennials. To be honest with you, so I don't know what who put this information together. Why am I reading it if it's not right? Who knows? But anyway, other things that you need to be thinking about too is um, right now. Your crab apples are starting to bloom, so you can start thinking about putting some of the annuals outside as soon as we get over this little, let's say, cold, you know, cold spell. Make sure, make sure you go out right now as well within the next day or two or whatever and take a look at especially your broadleaf evergreens and see if there's been some damage to the foliage. As I, you know, as I remind people, I have a micro microphyla, in other words, a small leaf boxwood that didn't do so well where it was, so I put it back behind the garage, which is on the side of the alley, and uh, which is fine. It likes it back there, except the newest growth on it, which was last year's growth, uh, still has showing the damage of last year. No, not last year, last January when it got really cold. So I still haven't pruned it off. I just want to see what happens just kind of in general. So I always leave some things the best way. Things that need to be planted in the spring versus the fall. Fall is always the better time to you know plant because the ground is warmer, the root systems get established, and then they get to go to sleep for the wintertime. But if you're planning on putting in a butterfly bush, a dogwood, a rosa sharon, a black gum tree, uh, redbud, vitex, magnolias. Magnolias are spectacular right now. They're really, some of them are starting to get fully open. Other ones are just starting to show some, you know, some, some color. And it used to, it always seemed to me in the past, you know, since I'm so old, that uh, the star magnolia, which is the fly, white flowered one, always bloomed first. Then as that one has been fully open, the saucer magnolia, which is the one that has a purplish tint to the foliage, to the petals, would come next, but now there seem to be coming up all kinds of, you know, as far as bloom-wise. So it shows you that what the difference is related to exposure. And uh, just be careful about going out and doing too much pruning on anything just for the sake of shaping. 
because with the screwy weather that we had and with the winds, you know, when they, they say, okay, it's 26 or 29 or something like that, but it feels like 16, like this morning, or I don't know if they said it was 16 or not, but it can, you know, I mean, the damage can be done to your plant material. So just kind of understand by pruning it, you're cutting off and kind of, you know, it's kind of like shaving your head and then going outside. You, it's going to feel really cold, and you could also get some sunburn as well. So just watch out about doing those things. Other things that you need to be doing and thinking about, as I said before, the forsythia and the magnolias are fully in flower. As they finish flowering, this is the time when you want to prune if you need to prune them. So just they're in full flower right now or not quite in full flower, but that's when the spring flowering shrubs really want to be pruned. The things that bloom in the summertime, like the crepe myrtles, the rosa sharon, the butterfly bushes, it's almost too late to be pruning those because they've already started to push some growth and they will start setting flower buds. Even though they're not really obvious to you, they bloom on new wood. If you cut it back too much, it may take a while for it to recover. So just understand that as well. So if you have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back to the soil testing circumstance. Uh, the University of Missouri, they, you send your soil test to them, and they'll take care of it. And they have two different places in Portageville and also in Columbia where they'll you know, take a look at it. And how often should you test your soil? Well, soil should be tested every two to three years. And that's just because you, if you're fertilizing and everything else, it's going to let you know what's going on. And what tests should be run? Well, in general, just a regular fertility test is sufficient. This includes pH. It includes, the, let's say, the, soil, the acidity of the soil. It includes the nutrient level like phosphorus, potassium, calcium, magnesium, organic material. And the, my, one of my favorite things is the cationic exchange. You go, what in the world is that? Don't worry about that. I mean, it is important, I guess, but... Those are the kind of things you go, hmm, I don't know what in the world that means at all. So applying fertilizers as recommended by your soil test. All fertilizer recommendations from the soil test will t- are based upon the amount of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium to apply to a, gar- you know, a specific garden or given area. Lawn and garden recommendations are going to be pounds per thousand square feet. So that's another one of those things you go, hmm. Pounds per thousand square feet. So just go online. You'll find out all that kind of stuff. So let's, we'll try to get one call in before we take a break. Wendy in House Springs. Wendy, how are you? Hey, I'm great. Mike, I use a pre-emergent every spring because I've got some crazy weed that comes up with that I can't seem to get rid of. It comes up in middle of the summer and end of the summer. So I know I need to put the pre-emergent out, but the weather conditions have not been conducive to me doing that. Is the pre-emergent, if it rains within a day or two after that, does that diminish the, the effectiveness? No, it doesn't because you're putting it down. Basically, you, what it does is just you know, kind of make sure. I'm assuming you're putting down a granular type of pre-emergent, correct? Correct, yes. So what it's doing is melting the granular form and, and helping that sort of like surface matting. That's what a pre-emergent does. It creates a coating on the surface of the ground, and it's right over the top of any kind of seeds. So consequently, it will kill those seeds off. Now, if this is a weed that comes up in the middle of summertime, 
you know, you may be way too early to actually have an impact on that particular plant. So that you got to be real careful. I would find out exactly what that plant is. You could go ahead and put you the know, pre-emergent like down. I've, I've taken this to two or three different garden stores and like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> So it's well, what, uh, what it is. Next it's time you come up to next next time you come up to the city, bring some up to the botanical garden, and just stop okay. by there and have them take a look. Because okay, all right, yeah, it it definitely comes up in. in I would say I deal with it all summer. It's not a spring emergent business. That's that is I can confirm for sure. But it spreads out all over every bare spot in my yard, keeping any better grass from coming in and. Um, it, for a while, it was crazy. It's, it's been reducing, and I think this process has helped. Right. But, but you might even say I could do, see. Then I then I cross over when I put my my grass seed down because I'm getting ready to uh, aerate the yard at the end of April and put grass seed down. So I have to figure it out. Yeah. So you're basically you're you're putting a pre-emergent down, and you're ruining the qualities of the pre-emergent by. I'm assuming you're doing core aeration or whatever you're doing. To the surface of the soil, and that just ruins the you know the quality of what a pre-emergent is supposed to do. Okay, so I should do it the other way. I should wait until I get this the aeration done. Right. Okay, so but then if you put seed long? down, if you put grass seed down, then you can't put you know you can't put a pre-emergent down. I so okay, I would so. again find out what this what this weed problem is and start from there. And rather than trying to figure out, because it sounds like you're trying to juggle 14 different balls and, you, you know, and you know, they're all different sizes and weights and colors and everything else. Is there, a, is there a weed called a wild hyacinth? Wild hyacinth. Uh, you know, there may be. I, I'm not familiar with I mean, that, that particular that's the, that's the one thing that somebody has said one time. And I'm like, well, it does kind of have a bunch of little tiny little, uh, the flower on it looks like the little head of a pin. Um, a string of them that are pink. Hmm. No, the, you know, I can't, I can't guess, you know, so I would again. Yeah, t- nobody can guess. So nobody seems to know what this stupid thing is. Yeah, I so would. I'm, I'm always. So. Try going so online and look at the botanical garden because they have pictures of all kinds of different weeds. Oh, okay. Okay. So dot org, And just, you know. At, and then how long after my pre-emergent before I can put a seed that I want to germinate, like my grass seed? Sometimes it depends upon what your pre-emergent is. It could be four weeks. It could be eight weeks. Okay, so a while. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Hey, thank you, Mike. Yep, good luck with that. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have been following information-wise, hummingbirds. Hummingbirds should be coming through this area in mid-April. Is this April? Yes, this is April. So start watching for the hummingbirds. Hummingbirds, though, might get close and say, whoa, it's too cold there. They're talking about snow. Maybe they'll go around. But just that's when they're migrating from Central America northward, and usually they come through this region sometime in mid to late April. Sometimes they just hang out here. They don't do anything else as well. So all kinds of things to think about. Your houseplants, as I said before, don't move them outside yet. Don't do any kind of transplanting. Don't do anything at all. 
you know, no fertilizer until you do get them outside. And remember, even if they're sun-tolerant ones, when you first put them out for the first couple weeks or up to a month, put them in a part shade location because they could get scorched by the direct sun even this time of year. So just realize that that could be the case. So just be prepared. And if you buy some new house plants, the same thing. So even if they're sun-loving house plants that you got from a garden center, I'd be really cautious about putting them in direct sun as soon as you got them home. So let's go to Nashville, Illinois, and into John's yard. Hi, John. Good morning. Hi. Uh, when, is the, when is the best time to dig up my daffodils and move them? Uh, basically, once the foliage starts turning brown, once it's about half brown, because then you're going to know right where they are, that would be the time to do it. Okay, thank you. Great show, great show. Well, thank Thank you. you. And also, just make sure the location you're moving them to is very well-drained and has a lot of organic matter. And depth-wise, the deep, you know, you don't want to put them too deep, but uh, daffodils that are planted about four to six inches deep are going to bloom sooner than ones like I plant mine about six to eight inches deep. So mine are not even in bloom yet where I can go buy yards where their daffodils are already in full bloom and some of them have already finished. So the depth in the ground can make a big difference on the bloom sequence or cycle. they got a, a huge, they just keep spreading and spreading and spreading, and I want to dig them up and move them around. So, You're lucky. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Certainly. Now let's go to uh, downtown O'Fallon into Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Hello. Hey, love your show. Um, I've got a couple of questions, and I've got them written, so here we go. Uh, planted potatoes about the middle of March, and uh, I haven't seen anything yet. I know it's been wet. Uh, do I look for them, or are they rotted, or what do you think? They're probably fine. It's just the ground is really cold. That's what triggers the growth that you're going to see above the ground. All right, second question. My wife bought uh, my wife. My daughter bought my wife some long stem roses. I wish I'd have done it, but my daughter did it, and... Uh, the flowers are uh, drooping and dying on top, but the stems are putting out buds. And I didn't know if there was an opportunity here to perhaps uh, put these in some soil and maybe start some plants. So, the, so they're cut. They were cut roses. Yes, that's correct. Uh, so no, they're never going to do anything. So there's no reason. Just enjoy whatever you can get out of them, and that's going to be a pretty much it. All right, last thing, container gardening, and, of course, our ground here is not that great, and so I've taken to container gardening. And uh, I'd like to get your take on uh, sweet potatoes and carrots in containers. I think they'll do fine. I grow a lot of the ornamental sweet potato vines, all different kinds of color, and I'm shocked at how big those sweet potatoes actually get. So this is the first year where I've actually overwintered my sweet potato vines, and consequently, I'm going to try to replant them and see what happens with them. And the carrots the same way. Just make sure that there's adequate, you know, adequate size in these pots. Do you think that the starting the sweet potatoes, laying them down like they're in bed someplace and with more soil, is a better starter than, say, just putting them in water with toothpicks? Yeah, that water with toothpicks, that's kind of, you know, that doesn't do anything. All right. Listen, I thank you for your time. Well, thank you. And now let's go to Bob in South City. Bob, how are you? Just fine. Uh, Thanks. A couple of quick ones. Uh, You can inject a chemical around the base of a sweet gum tree to uh, 
to keep so many balls from forming? Is is that a savvy investment or a waste of money? Uh, I, you're injecting it into the ground? You, you drill a series of holes in the base of the tree, okay. about a foot above the ground level, right. and then put a little syringe-type thing in it. Yeah, yeah I might, it certainly would be worth a try. You know, I mean, there are products, as you know, that companies make that are, you know, that are manufactured for that specific type thing, not just for the sweet gum balls, but for any kind of problematic tree as far as fruiting slash flowering and everything else. So if there, if it's not too expensive, I'd give it a try and see what you think. If it's a huge yeah. tree, it's going to be um, iffy. Okay. And another thing, uh, I've been in 40-some states, and I've never seen as much zoysia grass as I see in South City. What's the story there? <laughs> Just tradition as much as anything. So if you go south, you'll see a lot of zoysia or Bermuda, either one. But, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, people are kind of into it, and that's why it's so much of it's there. Okay, good show. Thanks. Well, thanks, yeah. I mean, I have zoysia, and I'm letting it battle with this. Uh, you know, when I we first moved into the house— we had a lot of bare spots, and I knew the zoysia, even though people are so worried about being aggressive and overflowing and running here, running there, I knew it wasn't going to be able to cover these bare spots. So I got some Scott's patch, and the zoysia is battling against the Scott's patch. So some of the areas are totally tan right now, haven't started to green up, but some of them still have you know that Scott's patch, which is you know basically a fescue, bluegrass. I don't know exactly what the blend was anymore. But uh, so it's, you know, trying to squeeze that stuff out, but it hasn't done it completely. So the zoysia just happens to be something that people in South St. Louis really like. Uh, your ornamental trees, as soon as they are available in the garden centers, you can, you know, in theory, plant them. But uh, you're just going to have to make sure that you're going to dedicate some time for the first couple weeks after you do the installation, you know, to make sure that the soil does not dehydrate. I can't believe how much wind I, we have a wind chime, and I put actually, uh, let's say, an ornamental flag out by the wind chime. And yesterday, for like 10 straight hours, that ornamental flag stayed horizontal. It never went down once, and the wind chime chimed for multiple hours. So that kind of stuff really dehydrates the soil. There's no getting around it. So just realize that if you're going to put anything in the ground, you know, that doesn't say, you know, related to the coal, which I've talked about and other things like that, that, uh, you know, you could go ahead and do it, but just make sure that you're going to keep everything well watered for a couple weeks after the installation. Also, now that it's your bulbs, you know, some of them, like crocus have finished in my yard. This is a time when you want to fertilize them so they can build up for next year. So whether it's daffodils, whether it's crocus, whether it's tulips, doesn't really matter. This is the time when you want to start fertilizing them just as they're in flower or just as they finish. So if you have any questions or concerns, you can give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And, uh, you know, questions about the outdoors or your houseplants or anything else. Mike Miller, KMWatch Garden Hotline. Talk to you after the news. The Voice of the Blues. News Radio 1120 KMOX. KMOX HD St. Louis. 102.5 KEZK. HD3 St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.